There's a lot of talk in these scripture passages um, about reconciliation. Paul uses the word five times in, in six verses. Jesus uses it once in his, in his passage from the Sermon on the Mount. What is reconciliation? Simply, reconciliation is bringing together that which had been separated. In the passage in 2 Corinthians, what is being brought together in Christ is God and human beings. Human beings and God come together because of Jesus. In the passage from the Sermon on the Mount, what's coming together are two people in the church who have been separated. We don't know why, but they've been separated. Jesus says one person has something against the other. People can be separated for a variety of reasons, but reconciliation is, we think of it as settling an argument, making peace. Sometimes we talk about being reconciled as settling for something that's less than desirable. She reconciled herself to her marriage. He reconciled himself to having Brussels sprouts at every meal. You know, it's not desirable, but we'll settle for it. We'll reconcile ourselves to it. Often in reconciliation, there's conflict between nations, between people. Um, and reconciliation, or the fact of being unreconciled, shows up in... Um, our language. It shows up in our language. Um, sometimes we will use unreconciled language uh, by referring to somebody not by their name in our thinking, but by a body part or an adjective. What we do in unreconciled thinking is we objectify the person we dehumanize the person. Think of somebody with whom you're not reconciled. How do you refer to them in your thinking? Jesus, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, says, those who call their neighbor fool, that's unreconciled thinking, to think of my neighbor as fool. The word that Jesus uses there is raka, raka. You know, it sounds, it comes from the, from the back of your throat, and it sounds like you're preparing to spit. You know, that person is spit. Now, usually, being unreconciled is about conflict, but sometimes we can be unreconciled through um, just indifference or ignorance. I just never thought about it. I just didn't give it a thought. I never thought what it would be like to be a refugee. I never thought what it would be like to be an immigrant. 
I never thought what it would be like to be an abused child. We're not separated there through hostility, but we're, we're just separated through our ignorance. When Steinbeck talks about reconciliation in Grapes of Wrath, he says reconciliation first begins in our thinking. It's a movement from thinking I and you to we. I and you to we. When um, Susan and I were first dating, I had a 1965 Chevelle that was very dented. The defroster did not work. The heater did not work. The radio was very staticky, and the radiator leaked. That was my car. But I realized after a couple months of our dating that I started to refer to that car as our car. You know, and I realized that I had moved in my thinking from being separated to being together. And that movement in reconciliation certainly made a difference in my life. It changed me as a person. And my world became warmer and brighter and more hospitable because of that reconciled thinking. Sometimes you can hear this movement um, of I and you to we in, in people who come to church. In the beginning, they'll talk about the church as them or you. But gradually, they'll start to talk about we. When do we have services? When will we be making sack lunches? Steinbeck calls this thinking change of reconciliation to be the most revolutionary movement in human history. For we move from saying, I have some food and you have none, to we have food. I have housing and you have none. We, together, have housing. It's reconciliation. What happens in the process of reconciliation? Well, I think the first thing in reconciliation is there's, a, there's an act of imagination on our part. We imagine what it's like. In George Bernard's play, George Bernard Shaw's play, Joan of Arc, the chaplain describes what it was like to witness the horror of Joan being burned at the stake. And he says, you could not imagine how awful that was 
how many people, he says, have to die in every generation because we lack imagination. We lack the imagination of what it is to be homeless, what it is to be lonely, what it is to be depressed, what it is to be isolated. We exercise that imagination in the process of reconciliation. And that imagination makes us aware of the other person. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, when you're bringing your gift to the altar, if you remember that your neighbor has something against you, that a fellow church member has something against you, before you put your gift on the altar, leave and go reconcile with that person. When we bring our gift to the altar, are we aware of what we've done? It's interesting in this, as Jesus tells it, as I bring my gift to the altar, I'm the one who has sinned against somebody. And I need to go make peace. If you are aware that somebody has something against you, go make peace. I would like to think that in this reconciliation, this awareness, what Jesus is really saying is if either party is aware that there's a conflict, that there's a hurt, the person who's aware has the responsibility to reconcile the relationship. So reconciliation is imagination, it's awareness, and it's effort. Go and reconcile. Go, that's an effort. Go and reconcile. Don't just think it's something nice to do. Go and do it. C.S. Lewis says, it's much easier to pray for our neighbor than to go and help our neighbor. Reconciliation is the effort. And it's courage. It's courage to go and do that, to go and make peace, to go and say, I made a mistake, to go and admit I'm in the wrong. That takes courage. For I have to sacrifice my pride, my ego. But reconciliation requires some kind of sacrifice in order to bring that which has been separated together. Reconciliation usually has a higher goal. We come together for a higher purpose. We come together so that people can be fed. We come together so that people can be housed. We come together so that evil can be defeated. Where does forgiveness fit into reconciliation? Reconciliation. 
I think it's a spiral. We're aware and we forgive a little. We forgive a little and we become more aware. We forgive a little and we become more courageous. We reconcile more and we make more of an effort to forgive. In the movie, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the movie is about reconciliation. It's about the coming together of, of Lloyd and his father, Jerry. At the beginning of the movie, they are not reconciled. They're separated. They're separated in their thinking. They're separated emotionally. And gradually, they come together. And you could argue that in the movie, it's Lloyd and his, his wife are emotionally separated. And they come together. And Lloyd has to sacrifice his hurt and his self-righteousness in order to come together for the higher good of a loving family and a family that's together. Today's crisis that we all live in is an opportunity for reconciliation. And we are experiencing reconciliation and stories of reconciliation every day. We, have, we are exercising our imagination. You know, what is it like to have the virus? What is it like to realize that in four hours my restaurant will close and I will be out of work? And where will I make my payments? I think people in our society are more aware of more people than we have been in years. Where will the homeless stay when the shelters can't keep people at six feet apart? What will children do for school? What will parents do when children are home from school? We are more aware of our neighbor than we have been in years. This is an opportunity for us to be reconciled as a nation it really is an opportunity to come together for a higher goal which is the health of all of us this is our opportunity to move from i and you to we we are in this together The word crisis comes from the Greek word to decide. We, this crisis, is giving us the opportunity to decide if we want to be reconciled 
or if we continue to want to be apart. The irony of this crisis is, as we keep our social distance of six feet, we are, in a sense, are more emotionally together and reconciled than we've been. This is our decision to make, to be reconciled. It will involve sacrifices. God made us one. Paul, in essence, says in 2 Corinthians, Christ, Christ died to make us one. And our sin is that we are always putting asunder what God has joined together. Paul says when he talks about reconciliation that we become new. Well, we do become new. When we are reconciled and we are more aware of the other person, we become new people. We become Christ-like. We become more patient. We become more merciful. We become more understanding. We become more generous. We become new in that we see the world as God sees it. And we start to behave as Christ would. It really is revolutionary. Because this reconciliation in our life, in our, found, in our relationships, becomes the foundation of rec reconciliation for our country. Paul says that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. Well, we can interpret that to say, well, we are to talk about Christ who reconciled humanity to God, and I'm not going to argue that. But I would argue that we are ambassadors of reconciliation with our neighbors and in our culture and in our society, especially now. It's a revolutionary thought to move from I and you to we. And that reconciliation is our hope today and in tomorrow and for the future. May it be so.